Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Big Ten Football Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Zach Guggenheim. We are going to be talking about a few different things, odds and ends. We're going to talk about coaching changes, and we're going to talk about the award shows, and we're going to circle back a little bit to the playoff decisions and particularly how the media has been processing it. Make sure to like, follow, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button, smash that subscribe button, leave a review, make sure you're sharing this with your friends. Again, the way that you guys have been doing that over the past several weeks now has just been so encouraging the way that you've really uh, helped the show grow, keep it up. I know it's it's we're starting to hit a lull, but bowl season's happening. We're going to have a bowl season pick show later on this week. So stay locked in, stay tuned, and make sure you are sharing with your friends. And again, if you want to talk with me, get at me, Instagram, X, and my email address, Talk at gmail.com. We're going to start with what I think was a, a, a surprise, but surprise and yet not surprise. So as soon as I dropped the podcast last week on Andy Kotelnicki and, and saying how great that, that higher is for Penn state and how it really positions them well for next year. I see on Twitter that there's a lot of smoke between Manny Diaz and Penn state. And in fact, my good friend, Chris Ebersol texted me as he was listening to the episode saying, Hey, just so you know, Manny Diaz is going to Penn state. And I said, I know, I know I'm a bit delayed. I know, but Manny Diaz is gone to Duke. And so he is the new Duke head coach. I think it was between him and actually Jim Knowles was another name. Jim Knowles, of course, has a history at Duke, uh, was the defensive coordinator there for a while before he went to Oklahoma State. I, when, when this happened, when I started seeing the smoke, the two things that crossed my mind were Manny Diaz probably was a two to three year guy as a coordinator because of how talented he is, how talented he is as a coordinator. So that I'm not surprised that he moved on as quickly as he did. He's a hot, uh, like, you know, a hot name, right? He's, he's fairly young. He's, he's 49, right? So he, not like Elaine Kiffin, you know, I think Lane Kiffin's now close to 50 now too, but like back in the day, you know, you thought of the, the hot young coaches like Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin and, uh, Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and all those all those boys, you know he's not 
he's not what he once was, right? He was a hot hire when Miami got him, uh, a hot young coach in, in terms of that. He's not that, but like he was still a big name where you're like, he's head coach potential, head coach, you know, he's in that mold. So I was not surprised that he left. I am shocked that he left for this job. Because Duke, as good as Duke has been, like Duke has been really good for for Duke over the past several years, right? Like they were ranked in the top 25 earlier this year, um, had a couple of really high profile games, had they had college game day on their campus this past year when they faced Notre Dame. But it's it's an ACC school, which we already know the ACC is not pulling a ton of weight with the CFP right now. They're not a big name in the ACC. You know, you think about their school prestige for football. Like, I don't know. If, I don't think Duke has ever won the ACC in football. That that's, I don't know much about Duke football. So I forgive me if, if I'm ignorant on this, I'll fact check myself later. Um, but there's just not, there, there's not a lot of cachet here and it's, it's a difficult job in the sense that you have academic standards, right? Granted, Penn state is a really good school. It's not Duke. It's not in the mold of a Duke or a Northwestern or a Stanford. And Manny Diaz has never been at a school like this. Like if you look at his coaching career, Florida state, NC state, middle Tennessee, Tulsa, Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State, uh, Miami for several years, and then Penn State. Not one of those screams uh, academic elite. And no offense to Penn State, because I know, I know y'all are excited about being a higher standard, but like they're not Duke, and you're not going to have to deal with academic standards like like at Duke. So I. I don't quite understand this move for Manny Diaz. Um, I, I'm just, I'm shocked by it. Shocked by it. So what does this mean for Penn State? Um, I, I don't know who they're going to look for. I, I think it's a bit, it, it's a bit disconcerting because the defense has been your calling card for the past couple of years. You get somebody to address your offense and I think if Diaz stays, you're like, Penn State really could be in the driver's seat next year because Michigan's taking is going to take a, a step back. Like they're losing, I think, 40, 45 seniors. I mean, it's a senior laden team. And so they're most likely going to be down. Ohio State, you, you don't know what's going to happen with them. And then all of your schools that are coming in from the Pac-12, Oregon and Washington are losing a lot of key pieces. Uh, USC, they got rid of uh, their defensive coordinator, but they have not been good the past couple of years defensively. So you have a lot of question marks there. I think UCLA is 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 a middle-of-the-pack team. Like Penn State, and I, I said this, that the past two years, this is a two-year window for Penn State, I think, to – to get to that elite level of the conference for Diaz to leave for this job. It's just wild, man. 
And I think this leaves – they need to get the right guy for this because I think as as good as I think Kotelnicki will be for Penn State, you still have a lot of development. You've got to find a, a wide receiver. You've got to make sure your line can be, do a better job run block, blocking. You've got to get the confidence of your running backs back after you know Singleton and, and Katron Allen struggling a bit. The defense was your – was your rock. And now all of a sudden your head man for that defense is gone. That's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal for them, especially if they want to make the move from really good to elite in the big 10. And so I, you know, I, I feel, I I feel bad. It's, it's a blow for Penn state, but I'll be honest. I'm kind of, I'm kind of shocked that Manny Diaz pulled the trigger on this because I think if he stays at Penn State, you have the, the potential for a special year. But I think with him gone, it 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 really opens the door. So it's tough. I, I don't see it working. I mean, if you just look at Manny Diaz's resume, he was okay at Miami. He wasn't great, but he was okay. You know, six and seven, eight and three uh, during the COVID year, uh, seven and five, and then he was fired. You know, not bad, right? You know, certainly not as good as Miami wants, but not bad. But you can recruit at Miami. It's hard to recruit at Duke, right? They just lost Riley Leonard uh, to the transfer portal. So it's going to be hard to keep guys. And also, it's going to be tough to win in the ACC and out recruit in the ACC. You've got to deal with Florida State. You got to deal with Clemson. You got to got to deal with Miami. Right. So I, and I'll be honest, I don't think he's Mike Elko. So I, to me, I think Diaz is missing an opportunity for a potentially great season with Penn state next year. So I, I wish the best of luck to him. Um, but I, I don't think it's a good move. I, I think it's actually a pretty bad move for him. And I think it leaves Penn state in the lurch. Not that, he owes Penn state anything, but I think it, it leaves them in the lurch. And I, I think it's a bad move, quite honestly. Um, other coaching news, Joe Rossi going from Minnesota to Michigan state. Really surprising move. Joe Rossi is, is the defensive coordinator. He's been the defensive coordinator since 2018. He was, he was the interim that season and then has, has been there ever since. So he's five years and if you look at Minnesota, it's been their defense for the most part that has been the stronger part of their team. They've been very good, produced a lot of, of good defensive players. You know, Tyler Newbin, one of the best defensive backs in the country. You know, he has been, he has really developed middle of the road guys, uh, developed some really good defensive players, sent them to the NFL, and now is going to a Michigan State team that, you know, Jonathan Smith really, I think, really building something there. Um, what does it say about Minnesota that they lose him to to Michigan State? I've seen a lot of things on Twitter saying this is a lateral move. I, I don't know if I would agree with that. I think Minnesota is a good program. I don't know if they have the ceiling that Michigan State does. Right, Michigan State, their ceiling was the playoff. Their ceiling in the new 12-team playoff world is the playoff. 
I'm not sure Minnesota outside of like a great year is perennially in that playoff discussion. Now I'm not saying Michigan state can get to every year being in the discussion, but I mean, think about it. That's kind of where they were in the four team world for, for a stretch, right? You know, 2013, they would have been in the four team playoff, right? You know, they got to the Rose bowl. They beat, uh, sorry. They ended number three. They may not, they may not have actually made the playoff that year. That's neither here nor there. They, they were, in the dis, you know, they were in the discussion at least, or would have been in the discussion in 2013. Uh, 2014, they were in the discussion up until their loss to Ohio State. 2015, they made it. Uh, 2017, 2021, you know, if they things went their way, they were in the discussion. Like Minnesota has never been in the discussion. They've been in the top 25 discussion. So I, I. To the Minnesota fans who are like, I can't believe that this is a lateral move. Pump the brakes a little bit. It's not, I don't think it's a lateral move. I think Michigan state at their, at their ceiling is, is, is better. Now here's what I will say. And I've been saying it for months now. I do think it's an indictment of the staleness of where Minnesota is and particularly where PJ Fleck has led this program. I think PJ Fleck, uh, I, I think he's living off of 2019. And he had a great, honestly, a very good roster that I think he has underachieved with over the past several years from 20, 2021 and 2022. And they were not good this year. So I think it makes a lot of sense for Joe Rossi to go with a, a proven guy who knows how to build a program you know, he can help Jonathan Smith recruit in this area, which was one of my key concerns. He can fix the defense, which has been a perennial disaster under Mel Tucker, right? Anytime they faced any any type of a high-flying offense, it was at least 40 points. Joe Rossi will fix that. And I, I think this is a great move for him. I think it's a great move for Michigan State. Do, do I think it's an indictment on Minnesota? I think so. I, I don't know how much of it is, but you, ha- you have to read the tea leaves here on this, right? Minnesota's stagnated. I, I think P.J. Fleck, like, they just they, they just lost their quarterback to the portal without anybody challenging him. Like, he was the heir apparent. And now all of a sudden he's gone, and they've plateaued. And I don't know they're going to get any better under PJ Fleck. And I think this move might be indicative of that. So I think it's a great hire for Michigan State and a bad loss for Minnesota. Uh, We're going to go to award winners. So first off, the Heisman, uh, Jaden Daniels out of LSU won the Heisman. Marvin Harrison uh, out of Ohio State uh, ranked fourth, uh, but it was a distant fourth. And the only other Big Ten guys on that list, and it was it was very few votes, but it was Blake Corum and J.J. McCarthy out of Michigan, which I think makes sense, right? They are the playoff team out of the Big Ten. But I, I think their stats really held them back, right? Like J.J. McCarthy really slowed down at the end of the year. 
Blake Corum, he had a lot of touchdowns, I think 23 to, to end the season. So a lot of touchdowns, but his, his yards per carry was low. Uh, I don't, I still don't think he's eclipsed over a thousand yards this season. They're just, they're just a ton of other backs who can boast better stats, which doesn't necessarily mean that you don't deserve consideration. You're not going to win the Heisman with under a thousand yards. And JJ McCarthy was not putting up the numbers that Penix or, or Bo Nix were putting up, putting up. Um, I, th- I think the defense was more noteworthy than those players, but don't make no mistake about it. Those two guys were super significant for Michigan success this year. It's just, I, I thought it made sense that, that they got a, a, that they literally got a couple of votes or a few votes. And that made sense to me but I don't think they should have been finalists. Um, quite honestly, I was a little cons- uh, surprised that Ohio- uh, Marvin Harrison got, got there, but I think his, his name had been out there all year. I think he had a great year last year. He's if Ohio state wins the Michigan game, I'm not so sure that Marvin Harrison doesn't win it because Jaden Daniels, he won it because he had an exceptional season, not because he was the most valuable player on his, on a playoff team. So I, I think it made sense though. Like Penix was really good this year, uh, but they were really weak. Uh, he, he did not play great down the stretch. You know, he won the games that they needed to, um, but he wasn't dynamic like you thought he would be. I think if Bo Nix and Oregon won the Pac-12, I think Bo Nix probably would have won it because he was dynamic. Um, but the reality is Bo Nix and Marvin Harrison Jr., they fizzled, or their teams fizzled on the last their last game that they played. Uh, Michael Penix was not super explosive every single week. And Jaden Daniels had like 50 touchdowns. And had over a thousand yards rushing and close to four thousand yards passing. It's impressive. It's impressive. So I I have no beef with who won the Heisman. Um, I do want to get to the awards winners for the Big Ten. There's been a lot of discussion about Marvin Harrison not deserving the Bolitnikov. Uh, and if you look at statistics, right, the, the three guys that were up for it, Roma Dunze out of Washington, Malik Neighbors out of LSU, both had better stats than Marvin Harrison. Both had better stats. I'd argue both had better passing attacks. Both had better quarterbacks. Both had better weapons around them. And I I say that, I've said all season that Ohio State has the best weapons, but realize Travion Henderson was out for a good chunk of the season. Emeka Abuka was out for like, I think a quarter or four, four weeks out of the season. And he did not look himself until quite honestly, the Michigan game. And even then he still looked a bit rusty. You know, the, the only other guy that Marv had uh, that really was a, a compliment to him all season long was Cade Stover. And his quarterback was not nearly as good. His offensive line wasn't nearly as good. So I think you have to take stats with a grain of salt on this. I, I would have been fine with any of the three, but I think a big reason why Marv, you know, people are upset because people, obviously they're like, well, Marvin Harrison 
Look at his name. Of course he's going to win. It's bias. Well, yeah. Like, and it's not just because he's the son of Marvin Harrison. It's just he's been a name in college football for the past two years. And he should have won the Bolitnikoff last year. But Jalen Hyatt won it. And that was ridiculous. Because Jalen Hyatt was not the best. He, he might not have been the best receiver on his own team. But the part of the reason is Ohio State's main, main guy they were promoting was not Marvin Harrison. It was C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud was, was uh, distributing that ball to everybody. And so Marv did not win it last year because, because of all these different reasons. And so the biggest reason why I think he won it this year is because he had a really good season with a good but not great quarterback, a good but not great offense, and he was the best player on the team and in a lot of ways led them uh, to victories and got, you know, put up a lot of stats, not, not to the same degree as neighbors and, and Dunze. But I, I just, I, I think this question of, well, it's only because of his name. I don't think it's because of his name. I think it's because his name has been out there, right? His name has been out there for two years. And we've been talking about him as the best receiver in college football. He's going to be the top receiver taking the NFL draft. I think all those things matter. And if your stats are anywhere close, you're going to go with the guy who's technically, who's has all that buzz. And granted, he he won by one vote. I, I think it was between him and neighbors. It was a one vote difference. So like it, that one vote determined that Harrison won the Belinikov, which I have no problem with. I, I thought there were times where he was easily the best player in the country. I thought there were, there were times where he was, I thought, not playing up to his potential. But congratulations to Marvin Harrison, because I think when you look at, when you stack up these receivers in the NFL draft, he is going to be the best receiver taken. He's going to be the first receiver taken. He might be the number one overall pick. He might not be, right? It's, it's tough to take a receiver number one, but you you listen to how scouts are talking about him. You you talk you, you you listen to how opposing coaches talk about him. And you realize just how special he is. He's the best receiver I've seen in college since Calvin Johnson. Right? That and it's because of his catch radius, his size, his speed, change of direction he can move in this he can be in the slot he can be on the outside so i thought he was he was well deserved it was well deserved tory taylor is the best punter in the country ray guy award winner there was literally no controversy to this might have been the least controversial award ever because he's awesome why is he not getting heisman consideration I, I'm dead serious, by the way. Who is the most outstanding player? Like, Tory Tory Taylor might be the difference between 10 wins and 5 for Iowa. The dude's a weapon. He's awesome. 
Ray Guy Award winner. I have no problem with it. Super talent as a punter. Uh, I hope he has a long, long career in the NFL. As Jim Tressel used to say, punt, most important play in football. Congrats to Tory Taylor. Big, big accomplishment to get the Ray Guy Award. Uh, and I seriously should have had a Heisman consideration. Should have had a Heisman consideration. Uh, Phil Parker, Broyles Award winner, uh, defensive coordinator for Iowa. Also, well-deserved. Well-deserved. You have to understand that what it took for, for Iowa to get to 10 wins with how bad their offense is is remarkable. It Because it's not just that their offense, you know, their offense can't score – but it puts your defense on the field for longer, right? Like you, you have to weather the offensive storm. And the fact that they were able to do that, and, and listen, you can criticize the Big Ten West all you want. Like the Big Ten West struggled this year. It was not a very good division, right? That's well documented. But the fact that this defense was able to be this disruptive and this effective while they're on the field all the time is remarkable. So, you know, hats off to, to Phil Parker, longtime defensive coordinator. He deserved the Broyles award winner. I think the, the only, and, and I'll get to this. The only one that maybe I think deserved it more is Sharon Moore out of Michigan, but you can't award him. Not with all the controversy. And I know controversy has been uh, surrounding Signgate has kind of been in the back burner. You have to realize there's still a lot of smoke and quite honestly, a lot of admitted fire that is going to be dealt with at some point. And even though you don't like you, there's, you still don't know who or what is, has been, who's involved, who knew what we, we don't know. And I'm not going to comment more, but there's a reason why you couldn't award this to Sharon Moore. Right. And it's because there's, it's the same reason why you can't, you can't give Jim Harbaugh coach of the year. You, you just can't because there's so much surrounding that situation right now that it, it you just realize, okay, there's it's what you've done is great, but also how bad was this and how much did you know and are we going to take this away? So I, Michigan fans, I understand if you're upset, you're like, how could you not give this to Sean Moore in any other year, in any other circumstance or any other situation, slam dunk Broyles award winner. But that stuff matters. So I have no issue with Phil Parker winning this thing. It was awesome. Good, good for him. Good for Iowa. You know, Iowa, Iowa has done as year in and year out. Do they do a great job of uh, staying in it, trying to get 10 wins. You know, I have issues with, with Brian Ferentz and how they handled that whole thing, but I digress. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about, I'm going to, going to wrap up with some thoughts back to the playoff. Uh, you guys did not disappoint in some of your comments and, and thoughts. Uh, I'm going to read a few of them here. Um, Sean on, on Spotify, 
you know, he said ESPN has control of the playoff this year. Uh, they have leverage on the committee. ESPN is ticked at the ACC for joining the Alliance and blocking ESPN from the 12-team playoff and pushing it to the market. ESPN, ESPN sticking it to the ACC. Uh, Nick R. Bush on Spotify. Love you for doing the right thing today and blasting the CFP committee. Thank you. I, I'm going to keep doing it. I still can't believe what we witnessed yesterday. We should be calling for a full investigation of the ESPN-SEC relationship. Jeffrey uh, Popard, I hope I'm saying your name right, said they should have just told everyone at the beginning of the season that the SEC champion is in no matter what, and there are three spots for everyone else, LOL. Um, so I appreciate you guys responding. There, I also had a poll uh, on Spotify about did the committee get it right? The options were no, FSU should be in, or yes, Bama and Texas are better. 90% said that no, FSU should be in. 10% said Bama and Texas are better. Yes. So granted, it's a small poll, but in that poll, 90%, 90% said no, they got it wrong. FSU should be in. Um, a couple of those comments address something that I want to address a little bit, which is the role of the media. The media, and I, I, I don't want to go into conspiracy theorist, conspiracy theorist mode, because the reality is, I, I think ESPN would draw money with the playoff, regardless. So I'm not going to go to the extremes of they need an SEC team in. I think that's a little, it's accusatory, it's inflammatory. I'm not going to go there. But there is a, but you, but there is a conflict of interest and, and probably a slight bias when ESPN owns the rights to this thing and they have contract agreements with different conferences and like it, it is weird to me that a TV network owns the rights to a championship. And it's been my concern for the past, it, ever since the playoff system originated. And I, you do have to address it at some point. You have to address the fact that ESPN has a contract with the SEC, uh, much more so than any other conference in college football. And they do have they do have some connection with the ACC, but not not as much so as the as the AC or the SEC. And they they literally have nothing with the Big Ten. I mean, everything NBC, CBS, and Fox are all where the where the Big Ten is right now. And so there is some concern there with bias, right? And bias is hard because the reality is. Bias is the thing that you don't see, right? You know, I'm sure as you hear me talk sometimes, my Ohio State bias is going to come out. And you can be, oh, he's he's got his rose-colored glasses on. I try to take them off for this show. I really do. Um, but there are probably moments where it's like, huh, he seems to really love Ohio State. My guess is during the, the Marvin Harrison segment, you thought, oh, he's, he's being Ohio State homer right now. 
that's there's a reality, right? We have biases that we need other people to 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 help us uh, uncover or to to take out of our analysis. And I I think I think ESPN for several years has been like, oh, we don't have SEC bias. We don't. We don't. We don't have SEC. There's nothing to see here. There's nothing. There's no man under the curtain. It's like, guys, you know what would be just helpful? If we could just say, hey, can, can we just have some self-reflection? We cover the SEC more than most. We're experts in the SEC more than most. We don't know as much about these other teams. And so we have ideas about what we think about the SEC. But you know what? You know, we'll, we'll try to be as objective as possible. But that's never what they do. It's never what they do. They're like, well, we we know because we're ESPN, yada, yada, blah, blah. Here's Desmond Howard, who knows nothing, and is going to spout off some stuff for five minutes. And here's Pat McAfee, who I actually like, by the way. And he's going to jump into a river and a lake and be shirtless for half the segment, right? That What is this? This is stupid. <laughs> and so ESPN, and it's it's not just ESPN, but, but ESPN they they constantly say things and that and are, are just incredibly self-righteous about themselves and i think that's what's maddening it's like we don't have any bias no not at all it's like of course you do like you're going to be as professional as you can right i trust that except maybe desmond howard but we're going to be as professional as we can, right? We're going to be as unbiased as we can. I, you know, Kirk Herbstreet, I have a lot of respect for him, right? He, Ohio State guy, bleeds Ohio State, scarlet and gray. But he does a great job of trying to be, uh, trying to be down the line, professional. But some, even him, he gets, he gets annoyingly, uh, What's the word? He lacks self-awareness. And so let me bring this to the Florida State thing. There's been a lot of hubbub by Joel Klatt, who's on Fox, by Kirk Herbstreet, you know, going around saying, we feel so sorry for Florida State. We feel so sorry for them. Like, I cannot believe you know, the pain that they, I, I can't imagine the pain that they're going through. Listen, you've been saying for the past several weeks how they they might not get in the playoff, how they probably shouldn't be in the playoff, and how you would pick them not to be in the playoff. I don't doubt that you're sympathetic, but shut up. Like, just just stop, Okay. Again, have you gone into those locker rooms and talked to those guys? Like, no. At least I don't think you have. Now, if you have, good on you. But, you know, to Joel Klatt, to, and I, I respect the crap out of Joel Klatt. I think he's one of the best, one of the best uh, commentators. I think he's level-headed. He's reasonable. You know, I, you know, everybody gets crap, right? Everybody thinks somebody's biased, right? And, and they, we are, we are. But, I think he is as professional as they come. I think Kirk is is most of the time 
as professional as they come. And this job, like to, to cover this sport is freaking hard because it's always changing and it's the most subjective. And you have all these teams, all these players. Like I've been doing this part-time for three years and it's freaking hard, man. And so they have, they have an impossible job. But this is one of those times, and, and, and I'm speaking even just from, you know, my role in ministry, you know, there are times that you, you need to speak up and times that you need to shut up. The time to shut up was when they were asked about Florida State and should they be in the playoff or not. You want to know why? Because especially with Kirk, their thoughts influence the committee, whether they, they realize it or not. I know Kirk and others want to say, well, we, we, we don't, we don't influence anyone. Your network freaking owns the playoff. Of course it influences them, right? You, you actually think that a room of 12 people with only three of them being coaches aren't going to be influenced by talking heads. Are you nuts? Like, what are you thinking? Like, of course they're going to be influenced by you. You're like, you're the voice of ESPN, man. The voice of college football. Yeah, they're going to listen to you. Yes, you're going to have influence. So zip it. Like, don't campaign on TV. Right? Like, I, I believe Kirk even said on at one point, before the Jordan Travis injury, he, did, he didn't think Florida State deserved to be in, even if they were undefeated. I think. I Maybe I got that wrong. But I'm just saying, like, swallow your words. And, and also, if you're going to speak up, don't say, I feel so sad for them. No, speak up and say, the system needs to change. The system needs to change. Listen, I, and, and this is, a lot of people have come out and said, well, the system got, got it right. And they're, what they're saying is they got, the, in their minds, the best teams in. Which I've said from the beginning of this system that this system was set up to screw somebody over that deserved to be in. And so we shouldn't be surprised, right? Because it's not, it's not set up in, a, in an objective way. You look at the, if you look at the criteria, as I've had time to kind of simmer down a little bit and think, if you actually look at the criteria of this, they got it right for the, from their criteria. Which to me, and this has been my my take since 2014, is that this system was set up to fail us. It's going to fail us in the 12-team model until they get to more objective measures. Why? Because it's still coming down to who do you think is best. And that's a terrible system because it's subjective. Right? In the 12-team system, Florida State would not get a buy. They would be the they would be the number five team, and it, it'd be it lessen the, the blow a little bit because they're in the playoff, but you're still giving an advantage to Alabama, who looks better, because. But the reality is, this system uh, until you get to a, a place in college football, where you can have, an objective win loss, um entrance, right? Like your win loss record is what determines who gets in. You're never going to have a system that won't screw people over. You're never going to have a system 
where you know how it fully operates until you remove the human element and the, and honestly the computer element, right? But we're not at the place where we can do that yet because of how jumbled up college football is, right? Because let's be honest, the SEC, as much as we all disdain the SEC, it has been by and large, the best conference in college football. And it's stronger than any. There was a season where the Big Ten was awful, right? And the Big Ten, the the Big Ten champion was just a punching bag. Now, they're better better now, although I think they're pretty mid this year. But the reality is, College football is a weird sport in that you have these group of five conferences and then you have these power five conferences, power four now that the Pac-12 has has dead, rest in peace. But they're they're different and like you have to account for that. And so I understand why this is the direction that they've gone with the system. But it this this out of everything should show you once again that this is wrong. Right. Because it's it's nullifying anything and everything Florida State did and it's saying, hey, your games did not matter. And I don't care. I, I love that, you know, people are, are arguing that the games did matter. I love you. Appreciate you. You're you're wrong. At least. You're right in this sense. They mattered based on what what the game, how the games played out. But you're wrong in the fact that the games, the, the actual result of the games did not matter. Which, last time I checked, a win was supposed to matter. Losses were supposed to matter. And so, that'll do it for the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. Again, like, follow, subscribe, leave a review, share this with your friends. Appreciate you all. Uh, love you all. We'll be back Thursday morning or with bowl picks. I'm hoping to get a guest. We'll, we'll see what we can do. But love you all. Take care. God bless.